This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Khabib continues his dominance. Diaz and Masvidal to headline UFC 244. Covington sounds off on, well, everyone. Gaethje and Cerrone go to war this weekend in Vancouver, and we are joined by the former UFC, Invicta, and Strikeforce Women's Featherweight Champion and the newest signee to Bellator MMA, Chris Thyborg. Thanks to those listening online. To the podcast, I'm glad you're subscribing. Continue to subscribe. Tell your friends to subscribe. Leave a comment on our page on iTunes. We appreciate all the love. And if you're listening on TSN Radio in Toronto and Ottawa, thank you for that as well. What a weekend. Where do we start? Well, that's kind of obvious. Khabib Nurmagomedov. What a performance against Dustin Poirier. Now, I'll admit, I, I thought Poirier had a shot here, and I thought that the odds were way off. I thought that uh, Poirier would uh, put up way more of a fight than that, and it would be a lot closer. It was not close. This was one-way traffic. I felt terrible for Poirier after the fact, because you, you could just tell that he was resigned to the fact that he's not going to be the champion in this division after that. I mean, for as long as Khabib's around. There was just this look on his face like of just complete bewilderment. He's fought the who's who of lightweights leading up to this fight. And this was a completely other animal to him. Like this was just something completely different than what he had faced prior to that. This was somebody who did to him what nobody's been able to do and did it in lopsided fashion and... uh you know, Khabib's a scary man. That is a scary, scary man. When you look at just how dominant he was over one of the best guys in the lightweight division, you have to call this guy the most dominant fighter in UFC history. Can you call him the best? I don't know. That, that's uh, up for debate, and I don't want recency bias to, you know, taint that or to play into that. But... You know, the resume is kind of tough to compare to a John Jones or even a GSP. But in terms of what he does in the cage, there's no second when it comes to who's the most dominant fighter in UFC history. Khabib's never been in trouble. He lost one round to Conor McGregor, a round that a lot of people just said he essentially took off. And that's it. Otherwise, he has not lost a round in the UFC. I don't know about prior to the UFC because a lot of those fights aren't available to, to watch, but... Man, oh man, Khabib is just a tough, tough guy. And there's no other way to put it. He's unbelievable. So he ends up beating Dustin Poirier. And in terms of what's next, Dana White said something very alarming after the fight. He was asked, you know, who's next for the lightweight title? And he said, well, Tony Ferguson. But if we can't get a deal done with Ferguson, I think a rematch with McGregor makes a lot of sense. Huh? What sense does it make? I like Conor McGregor as much as the next guy as a fighter. I think he's a phenomenal fighter. Look at who he's beaten. He's beaten Poirier. Beaten Jose Aldo. Beaten Eddie Alvarez. Like, he has, he has a good resume. But he hasn't... He's one and one as a lightweight. And he hasn't won a fight in three years. Like, what? In, in the... Perhaps the most... You know... Stack division in the sport. I mean, you could go with welterweight or with lightweight in the UFC, but how, how could you justify giving him the next title shot? And Khabib's trainer, Javier Mendez, was on with Ariel Helwani today on the Helwani show and said that 
when Khabib says that he's not interested in a Conor rematch at this point in time, he's 100% for real. He is not interested. He does not want to give Conor a shot before Conor earns another, another shot at the title. That is his mindset right now. That being said, even though Conor versus Khabib doesn't make sense, it makes dollars. And when you're running a promotional business, you make decisions that are predicated more on what makes dollars than what makes sense. That's just the way it is. You can't look at this with the same lens as you would a professional sport. I say this time and time again. And that's not to say that mixed martial arts is not a sport. It's very much a sport. But when you're a promotional entity, your job is to promote and to sell, at least in the spirit of sport, what is the most marketable, most bankable bout that you could make at any point in time. Now, of course, you see you know, the, the zone is putting on the, the KSI and Logan Paul boxing match. Don't ask me who either of those two guys are. I know who they are, in fact, you know, what their status is, that they're YouTube stars or whatever. I've never seen any of their work. Perhaps it's great. But that is a fight that's being made solely for promotional value, for cash value. The UFC tries to stay away from stuff like that. And, you know, we've had CM Punk. You know, don't, don't send me a note saying, well, you're forgetting CM Punk, you're forgetting James Tony. It's happened. And it's going to happen again at UFC 244, but we'll get to that in a little bit. But Khabib and Connor is not a fight that makes sense at this point in time in terms of the hierarchy of the division. It just does not make sense. You have Gaethje and Cerrone this weekend. You, of course, have Tony Ferguson, who's the obvious next contender. And George St. Pierre's mentioned as well. Now, that's another fight that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But when Dana White was asked about that at the post-fight press conference, the, the phrasing of the question is, is it, a, is it a possibility that you could see GSP versus Khabib? And he said, sure. And that was it. <laughs> that, that was the, that's all he said. Because I guess he doesn't want to rule anything out. Like, anything's possible, especially in this sphere. George has continued to express interest in a fight with Khabib if he were to come out of retirement. That's the one fight he would want. Khabib, of course, has been uh, banging that drum for some time as well. In fact, I, I want to give Khabib credit because after the event at the press conference, he mentioned that he wanted to do a fight somewhere in Africa. He mentioned Congo, Nigeria, um, Somalia, Sudan as potential landing spots where they would build an arena like they just did in Abu Dhabi, pop-up arena, have him and GSP fight, and then the proceeds to the fight would all go to charity, to a, especially if it was a country in Africa that didn't have like clean water and they could provide. And I think that's a very... Um, philanthropic thing to say. And a, a good idea. Now, whether something like that will ever happen, I, I don't believe it will. But uh, still a very, very good thought on Khabib's... You know, Khabib right now, he's a champion. He's established himself as the lightweight champion. He's established himself as perhaps the most dominant fighter in UFC history. What else can he do to add to his legacy? And I think that having some philanthropic value certainly couldn't hurt his legacy as a person. You know, there's one thing to have a great legacy as a fighter. But at the end of the day, it's also important to have a good legacy as a person to some people, not to everybody. Some people just want to make their money, compete, and get out. 
and you know live on an island or something. But for Khabib, I think he wants to make a difference in this world as well, which is you've got to say is admirable. GSP said he's interested and he liked the fight, but uh, he doesn't think that uh, he's going to be fighting Khabib. He doesn't think that they're going to make that fight. And I, I can see where he's coming from. But he's also very smart. Give George St. Pierre credit, because as soon as he retires and holds a retirement press conference, his value goes up by, like, by 10. You know, fans want to see him back. And right now, you know, he can't sit around and say, well, I'm not retired, I'm just waiting for the right fight. And they keep offering him fights, and then they keep going out into the public and say, we're offering GSP fights. You know, GSP doesn't want to fight Nate Diaz. GSP doesn't want to fight so-and-so. Now GSP can say, well, they're not offering him fights. I'm retired. And then if they want him to come back, that's the fight. So he, that's a very smart leverage move by GSP because he doesn't want any other fight right now. And Khabib wants GSP to fight at 155, which is interesting as well because if GSP is going to fight him at 155, you're going to have to presume that the title will be on the line and that GSP has a chance to become a three-division champion. Now, the big hesitation, obviously, on the UFC's part is that if GSP does win that fight, he will never fight again. That belt will just be up for grabs once more, and it'll create chaos. But sometimes the UFC needs chaos to thrive. And that brings us to UFC 244 at Madison Square Garden in November, where chaos, Colby Chaos Covington specifically, was unable to come to terms with a deal to face Kamaru Usman. And according to Ariel Hawani, there was a lot of issues with both Usman and Covington in terms of making that deal. Covington went on the Hawani show today and said that he was offered a take-it-or-leave-it deal. One deal. One offer. Wasn't interested. And they didn't come back to him with another one. So, as a result of that, they were thinking of making Masvidal Usman. But, ultimately... Diaz versus Masvidal is being made. Diaz with a quick turnaround. Who would have guessed it? After the three-year layoff, he's going to be back in November, headlining MSG. And I think Diaz is finally going to be a little bit happy with the fact that autonomously he can main event a pay-per-view. No title on the line, except for this BMF title, which we will discuss further momentarily. But Nate Diaz now has created enough promotional clout. He did that in his last event. To come out and say that he is not going to be second fiddle to anybody anymore. He wants to headline pay-per-views. And judging by what we have here in front of us, Diaz versus Masvidal, he is getting his way. He is headlining a pay-per-view. Not only is he headlining a pay-per-view, he's headlining one of the top pay-per-views of the year, MSG. Now, Dana White says there's not going to be another title fight on the card. I think what he means is a welterweight title fight. I would not be surprised to see uh, Zhang Wei Li on this card. Now, who she would face, I don't know, because right now we've got Watterson and Yanjacek fa- uh, facing one another. We don't know what's going on with Rose Namajunas. But given the Chinese population of New York and Dana White saying that he wants Zhang to fight her next fight in the U.S., and given the fact that December looks like it's filling up fairly quickly, you've already got Durandame and Nunes announced. Reportedly, Volkanovsky and Holloway is going to be on that card as well. And now rumblings that Jan Blahovic versus John Jones will be on that card, potentially. So we've got a lot of different things at play right now that would indicate that that could be a possibility for MSG. But I digress. The strange thing about this Diaz-Masvidal fight is this BMF thing. That, you know, 
Diaz told me, actually, after the last event, and he might have said it in the press conference as well, so I don't want to take full credit, but he would have said it to me first. He'll take credit in that regard. He said, I want to fight Jorge, and the winner will be the baddest MFer in MMA. So now, according to Dana White, they're going to hold that fight, and he's going to create some sort of belt to put on the winner to declare them the baddest MFer in MMA. Now, I've been, or at least in the UFC, now I've been jumping back and forth on this one for some time in my mind because I want MMA to be fun. MMA is predicated on fun. You know, it, if you look at the early days of MMA, you've got, first off, the UFC and how they promoted the sport when you're one man, two men enter, one man leaves and, and stuff like that. Then you've also got the pride tournaments. You've got open weight fights. Minimal man taking on guys that are 350 pounds. That kind of stuff is fun. And that, that kind of stuff is part of the heritage of the sport. The heritage moment. So when they do something like this, that's fun. You try to take a step back and say, well, should they really be creating a belt that doesn't really have a ton of meaning? You've got a welterweight title. You've got titles for all these divisions. Do they need another belt? Dana White says it's a one-time belt. It's not going to be defended or anything like that after the fact. But then the other side of me, you know, there's the there's the 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 angel on one side and the devil on the other side. And you've got the angel on one side saying, "Well, this isn't right. You can't just have a a fight for a belt that doesn't exist. You can't headline a pay per view. That's not really fair to the other fighters that you're going to create a belt just for these two guys." That's not right. That's not how the UFC should operate. They're trying to operate as a sport. And then we've got the devil on the right side saying, Yes, let's have some fun. Let's have some fun. Don't take this sport too seriously. You were the one who just said earlier that some fights don't make sense, but they make dollars. That's what this is all about. It's a fun promotional thing. Don't get too hung up on the details. Just enjoy it. Come along for the ride. Everybody's getting the fight they want in Diaz and Masvidal. Dana White just poo-pooed the idea last week of Diaz coming back soon. Now here we are. We've got the fight. So what if they want to put a belt on somebody? Who, who cares? Just enjoy it. Let's not take this too seriously. And I tend to side with the devil on this one. Because I think that when you start taking things a little too seriously, you get really angry about certain things in the sport that almost always do make sense from the promotional standpoint, but don't make sense from a competitive standpoint occasionally. And people get really hung up on that kind of stuff. Makes them crazy. People get on social media and they're like, this, this is an outrage. This doesn't make any sense. Well, I don't want to be part of that group. Because MMA, you know, I want to see more tournaments in the UFC. I'm okay with interim titles. I want to see more headlining fights on pay-per-views that are non-title, that just have big names. We don't need title fights on every pay-per-view as the headliner. We just put together a great fight. Are you telling me you'd be more excited to see a title fight between Valentina Shevchenko and Jessica I rather than Gaethje versus Cerrone that we're going to see this weekend? Like, if you take two cards, you have, let's say, what was it, UFC 225? What was the card that they uh, had Shevchenko? I think it was 220. I'm going to just double check. Well, when, when did Shevchenko fight last? It wasn't 225. Was it 230? I'm terrible with this kind of thing. It wasn't 230. 
Maybe 238. Yes, 238. So let's say you had, and this is actually a good example of a card too, because this card is Cejudo Morais, Shevchenko I, Ferguson Cerrone, Rivera Jan, and Tuivaza Ivanov. And I said, you should headline with Ferguson Cerrone. That's the best fight. That's the most exciting fight on the card. Make that five rounds. You're going to have five rounds of Shevchenko and I anyways. You're going to have five rounds of Zahudo and Marais anyways. Neither fight went five rounds, but again, I digress. That is the fight that should headline the card, even though it's non-title. It's the best fight on the card. And I think the UFC should headline with the best fight on the card, the fight that people are most looking forward to. That's how you should promote, in my opinion. They probably have lots of different things that, you know, data that suggests that title fights need to happen. And I get that. That's fine. But let's, let's take this all out of the mix. Let's say you've got the same card and you can headline any card, really, with Shevchenko versus I or Gaethje versus Cerrone. I get that one's a title fight and one's not. I get it. But to me, it's a no-brainer that you would headline with Gaethje versus Cerrone. In fact, I was with my uh, coworker Brett Bailey, who works here at TSN. We were walking to the meeting, and uh, he said he didn't buy the pay-per-view this past weekend. Didn't buy Khabib Poirier. He was, you know, watching a couple other things at the same time, following along on social media, but didn't get a chance to watch. He goes, "You know what? Though I will buy this weekend's card." And I looked at him and said, "You don't need to. This is on TV. This is a free card. Gaethje versus Cerrone." And he was—he just said, "I just got drinking money. I just saved saved sixty bucks." He was willing to pay for Gaethje Cerrone. And I think a lot of people would be too. I think if you look at a lot of the different pay-per-views from this year, that Gaethje Cerrone is a more fun fight than what the other ones had. 239, International Fight Week. Santos and Jones, Nunes and Holm. Both great fights. Masvidal Askren, fantastic fight. Gaethje and Cerrone, is a, to me, is a fight I'm more excited about than any of those three fights. I, again, I could be crazy. Maybe I'm wrong on this. But if you said to me, Aaron, here's four fights. You can only watch. You're not going to get to ever know what happens in the other three, but you get to only watch one for your, the purpose of your entertainment. John Jones, Tiago Santos, Amanda Nunes, Holly Holm, Jorge Masvidal, Ben Askren, Gaethje Cerrone. I don't know the outcome. Pretend that these fights haven't happened yet. Gaethje Cerrone is my answer. Probably ten times out of ten. Masvidal Askren is a fun fight too, but I think that I, I would have to say that Gaethje versus Cerrone, just for sheer entertainment purposes would get my pick. That fight's just insane. It's going to be crazy. I can't wait. So, I think the UFC needs to continue to do stuff like this. Think outside the box. Book fun fights to headline pay-per-views. People would pay to see Gaethje and Cerrone. So let's talk a little bit about Gaethje and Cerrone. This weekend, UFC fight night in Vancouver. And uh, it's headlined by those two individuals. And I think that it is a, uh, a phenomenal card. Specifically because there's one fight. Like, you could put anything else on this card, and they kind of have. There's some interesting fights for sure, but that's, I mean, that's the main. That's, that's the buffet dinner right there. Everything else is kind of a nice light appetizer. Some potato skins, uh, you know, a little bit, couple cheese balls, some of those little, um, you know, those hot dogs that are wrapped in the, in the bread. What are, I don't know what those are called. Piggies in a blanket, I think they call them. Yeah, maybe a chicken finger here or there. But Cerrone versus Gaethje is like a steak dinner with lobster and uh, mashed potatoes, gravy. You know, that's, that's the kind of thing we're looking at here. This is, this is a meal versus a couple of little light appetizers. Now, I'm excited about a lot of the things going on on this card. I think uh, the co-main event, Teixeira versus uh, Krilov, is a fun one. 
return of Todd Duffy after four years. Interesting. Michelle Pereira, one of the most exciting guys to watch in, uh, in MMA. Had an incredible debut back in May in Rochester, and now he's back facing uh, TBD. But apparently he's going to remain on the card. They're looking for a uh, replacement that should be named in the next day or two. Uriah Hall, Antonio Carlos Jr., another great, fun, fun fight at middleweight. Love that one. Misha Surkinov, Jimmy Crute. Seems like they're giving Misha all of these young guys that they want to pump up. But uh, that's not going to be an easy one for, J- for Jimmy Crute. Marcin Tybura versus Augusto Sakai. That's another fun one at heavyweight. Cole Smith and the debut of Miles Johns, who looked fantastic on the Contender Series. Andrew Sanchez, Marvin Vittori. That's an interesting one. Interesting contrast to Styles. Vittori's takedown defense has gotten better. So if he keeps this on the feet against Sanchez, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Brad Katona, Hunter Azier. Azier looked phenomenal on uh, the Contender Series. That's going to be a fun one, too. I, I'm very high on Azier and also very high on Katona. So that should be fun. Chad Skelly, Jordan Griffin. Interesting. Skelly, I don't think, has fought in a little while. Luis Smolka versus Ryan McDonald. That's a wait and see for me. Kyle Prepolek versus Austin Hubbard. Another interesting one. I think uh, Kyle Prepolek is somebody who I want to see succeed in the UFC. He's got a fun story, a nice kid. So uh, let's see how that one goes. But ultimately, Cerrone versus Gaethje is the one to watch. And Gaethje is a pretty sizable favorite. I think that makes sense. I think if you look at where these guys are uh, in their careers, that, uh, that, that makes a lot of sense. So let's take a look at some of the odds here. Because I think that there's a lot of uh, interesting stuff to take a look at on this card. Gaethje's only minus 190 now. I think that's a good price for him. I think if you can get Gaethje at minus 190, that uh, you should take a look. Teixeira and Krilov, even money. Hughes, Duffy, pretty much even money. Both of those make sense. Carlos Jr., one, minus 175 against Jariah Hall, plus 155. That's an interesting one. I'm not sure. I just don't know which Antonio Carlos Jr. is going to show up anymore. Krut and Misha Zirkunov is about even money. That's about where that should be. Tybura, Sakai, even money. So we've got a lot of fights on this card that are essentially close to even money. The only big favorite is uh, Marvin Vittori, minus 300 against Andrew Sanchez. That shocks me. That's a, that's a, I mean, I, uh, you know, I would take Andrew Sanchez 100 times out of 100 at that price, plus 250. Wow. If, if me, and, I'll tell you this, if me and Joe were making picks this week, that would be my pick is Andrew Sanchez at plus 250. That's a shocking number to me. Andrew Sanchez is a talented kid. I don't know if he's, if I can call him a kid. He's only probably a couple years younger than me. I guess you can call anybody younger than you kid, right? If you were in like grade five and they were in kindergarten or they were a kid. I mean, obviously, if you see Andrew Sanchez standing next to me and you're not going to think that I'll look more like the kid next to, next to that guy. He's a pretty big dude. But uh, be that as it may, that's a really fun card. I, uh, I think that you've got to check out tsn.ca slash UFC this week. We've got a lot of fun stuff planned for UFC uh, fight night in Vancouver that I'm really looking forward to. Colby Covington had a lot to say uh, on the Helwani show. Essentially, he said him and Masvidal are no longer friends. He kind of ripped Masvidal. Claimed that Masvidal was a Trump supporter. I don't know why he would use that to bury his opponent if that's something that he's all about, but whatever. Also said that, you know, Masvidal's kind of all about himself. Which, again, coming, coming from Covington is kind of interesting because that seems to be why people aren't talking to Covington anymore. And then Covington also took the opportunity to rip Poirier. He said that Poirier's, uh, because Poirier, after the card this past weekend, said he's not going to sell out his teammates like Colby Covington has. And now Poirier 
He said Poirier was, uh, you know, his post-fight thing was an act. Says that, um, you know, he felt that Poirier's comments about him were distasteful. Which is, again, pretty rich coming from Colby Covington. But uh, I thought that that was um, interesting to hear. Because if I recall correctly, when Covington was on this show prior to Robbie Lawler, he said he was training with Poirier. Now, I might be wrong on that. I'd have to go back and listen. But he claimed uh, to Helwani that he hasn't trained with Poirier in like one or two years. But I thought they were training together. So Covington also said he'd love to face Kamaru Usman in Washington on ESPN in December. That would be fun. It would be good. nice to have some title fights on uh, on ESPN. Big ESPN. Uh, you know, have a nice title fight on free TV on a Saturday night. That that couldn't hurt. Couldn't hurt the relationship with ESPN, that's for sure. So that's uh, that's where we're at. I think that uh, that's going to be very interesting to see what happens there between Covington and Usman. Dana White says that uh, BJ Penn is not going to fight in the UFC again. I can't remember if I touched on this last week with Joe, but uh, he, well, let me let me rephrase that. He didn't say Penn is not going to fight in the UFC again. He said that's a wrap. But he also went out and said, you know, the, he shouldn't be thinking about fighting until he gets his stuff together, gets his personal life together. Now, does he mean in the UFC or elsewhere? I don't know. But um, I, I don't know where that stands, but... Uh, would it surprise you to see BJ Penn fight in the UFC again? It wouldn't surprise me. I wouldn't be shocked. Nothing should shock you in MMA. Anything can really happen. Now, I really hope that we get to see Tony Ferguson versus Khabib Nurmagomedov. You know, I was talking to Dan Tom before this uh, event, and both of us said that, you know, we think that Ferguson has the best chance of beating Khabib. And I think a lot of people feel that same way because of how good he is on the ground. We also thought Dustin Poirier had a good shot against Khabib, and we were both dead wrong about that one. But I think that that fight has to happen next. They should plan it, schedule it for January, February, and March, and just like just it, when if it ha- it happens when it happens, get those guys in the same building. It still upsets me that UFC 229 had Ferguson and Khabib fight on the same card against different opponents. I know it was Conor, I know it was the biggest selling card of the year, but those guys both got on the scale for the same event. Both made weight and both fought on that car. They were both in the same building. Back-to-back fights. That will never not rub me the wrong way because of the four times they tried to make that fight prior. Makes me nuts. It's also annoyed Ferguson, too. I mean, Ferguson had, had, had the interim title belt at a strip from him, and he's playing second fiddle to a different title fight for that division. You can understand why Ferguson is so irritable sometimes when it comes to this kind of stuff with the UFC. Junior Dos Santos versus Alexander Volkov announced for the UFC Moscow main event. Now, of course, Conor McGregor, after the fight, said that he'd like to fight Khabib in Moscow. It doesn't look like that's going to happen anymore. And I don't think that would have happened on a free card anyways. That would be a pretty bad business. But one other thing that was interesting, Khabib says he deserves to be ranked as the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the sport. I don't disagree with that. I don't think best pound-for-pound means best ever. But right now... It's hard to say he's not the best pound-for-pound fighter in the sport. Given what we saw Jones just uh, do with Thiago Santos, that wasn't the best performance. Maybe you have to consider it on a performance-by-performance basis if you're talking about pound-for-pound right now. 
Because right now, it's hard to say anything other than Khabib being the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the sport. Who else, who else is close? Who else is close to dominating their opponents in the same fashion as Khabib is? I think what he's saying is very fair. I'd, I'd be fine saying Jones is the best ever, but right now Khabib is the best pound-for-pound. Pound. You can say that. Is that inaccurate? Th- those would be my feelings. It's hard to disagree, right? Uh, also, um, Paul Felder, main, co-main event. I'm kind of all over the place here today. I apologize, but Paul Felder, co-main event against Edson Barboza. Now, I think what this does is, even though that fight, I, I scored it for Barboza 29-28. I think it could have gone either way, 29-28. Two judges had a 30-27 either way, which is ludicrous. But uh, I think 29-28 is a good scorecard uh, for either guy. Now, unfortunately, because it went for Felder, Barboza is now 1-4 in his last five. And to me, that establishes him as a gatekeeper. And I'm happy with that. I think if you take the best young guys, let's say you took Gregor Gillespie and put him up against Barboza, that's a fight you should make. Take guys at 155 that are trying to work their way up. Let's, let's pull up the rankings here. You've got Alexander Hernandez. That would be a fun one. Alexander Hernandez against Barboza. Give Barboza, give fun fights to people that are trying to move up. Charles Oliveira versus Barboza. Who wouldn't want to see that? Islam Makhachev versus Barboza. He called out the winner of that uh, fight after his win. Give him the loser of that fight. I mean, if he's ranked 15th, he'll probably be ranked maybe 13th this week. Maybe 12th, something along those lines. That would be fine. I would love to just see Barboza fight young, up-and-coming guys in this division. And he can be the litmus test for where they're at. I think that's totally fair. Hard to disagree with that, especially given what we saw. But uh, I always love watching Edson Barboza fight. And it's nice to see Paul Felder get a bit of a step up. Because I think Paul Felder against an Ayakinta or a Gaethje or a Cerrone next makes a lot of sense. Now, I know him and Cerrone are good friends and don't want to fight, but you just never know with those two guys. Cerrone and Gaethje were friends too. They used to train together. Now we'll see them collide this weekend. It's still interesting to me that Conor McGregor's ranked third in that division, given the inactivity that they haven't taken out of the rankings or that the people doing the rankings haven't moved him down for inactivity. It's one win against the guy that's no longer in the UFC. It's not a disrespect to him. I, like, I think Conor is just as, like, he could beat a Cerrone or a Gaethje or an Ayakinta. Like, I, I don't think that's out of the question. But it's just hard when you see all these fights happening consistently in this division, people moving up and down. And he just sits there. Seems like you're doing a bit of a disservice to the people in the, uh, in the division. So uh, we have a, a couple good weeks of fights coming up. you got uh, Yair Rodriguez versus Jeremy Stevens. That's a fun one. That's taking place in Mexico City in two weeks. Esparza versus Grasso was the uh, co-main event. I'm not sure how <laughs> strong of a co-main that is, but again, we also have Teixeira versus... Uh, Krilov this weekend. So there aren't really a ton of great co-mains coming up. You know, you got Gunnar Nelson, Thiago Alves in three weeks in uh, Denmark. Right now, it looks like they're not putting a whole lot of emphasis on the, uh, the co-mains. It looks like Ayakinta Hooker is going to be the co-main for 243 as well. Arasanya versus Whitaker. It's coming up in about a month's time. Excited for that one. That's going to be great. I like Arasanya in that one. I've talked about this already, but... I'm excited to see what uh, 
Joe has to say about it when we uh, we start looking ahead to that fight. Joe's going to be uh, on the road for glory soon. He's got a lot of glory stuff coming up at the end of the year like he did last year. So I'll be uh, looking forward to any time we have Joe in studio with us uh, in the coming weeks. Now, unfortunately, I'm traveling this week. I'm going to Vancouver on Wednesday. I'm off tomorrow spending some time with my family before I leave. And today was the only day I was in, and Joe uh, is unable to come in today. So unfortunately, I had to fly solo today. But I do appreciate you hanging in there with me as we uh, talk our way through the latest happenings in, uh, in mixed martial arts. And there is a lot going on, of course. With Diaz and Masvidal headlining that card, the good thing about that for the matchmakers is it takes the burden off of them for making a, a title fight. I mean, you've got Cejudo injured. He's the champion of two divisions. That, that puts a big burden on the matchmakers. Like, if you're expected to have one or two title fights per pay-per-view, you're going to have a very limited pool when you have two champions that are the champions in two divisions. You've got Nunez at bantamweight and featherweight, so the featherweight title is basically sitting there on hiatus. Her next fight's going to be a bantamweight again. You don't really have a whole lot of featherweight contenders that are knocking the door down, but again, I digress. Bantamweight and flyweight, though, I mean, you could do anything. You could do anything there. I would like to see some sort of flyweight tournament towards the end of the year. I'd like to see them add more flyweights to this pool, get more flyweights into the UFC. If you're, gonna, if you're serious about keeping this flyweight division, make Cejudo versus Benavidez the next fight. Or have Cejudo relinquish the title if he's not going to fight Benavidez next. And put the title up for grabs in a tournament. See who the cream of the crop really is. We've had a flyweight tournament in the UFC before. That was fun. But instead of a four-man tournament, let's go with like eight-man tournaments. Let's, let's have some fun. They're, they've been working great in Bellator. They launched their featherweight tournament. The one that kind of uh, upset me was uh, Taiwan Claxton against Emmanuel Sanchez. In the case of Claxton and Ed Ruth, it's just too much too soon for these guys. But at the same time, I also don't like guys being coddled and given really easy opposition. So you kind of have to throw them in into the water soon, throw them in the deep end and see what happens, sink or swim. That's one of the real conundrums with prospects. You know, I don't like seeing prospects get really easy fights to pad their records. I'd like to see them fight better opposition. But then you look at what happened to Aaron Pico and, you're, and everybody's like, why are they giving him such tough opponents? Well, you're going to have to have tough opponents eventually. So you kind of have to see where they're coming from. You have to understand that these are folks that want to build prospects the right way, build their records. But eventually these prospects, once they get that big step up in competition, like they need a gradual step up. Like going from whatever, whoever Claxton fought last, I can't, don't know off the top of my head, to Emmanuel Sanchez. Like you're talking about going from like a level four to a level nine. If you skip those levels, you're going to be lost when you're in that world. Like video games. You can use the warp code, but then if things get harder, well, you know, how are you going to know what to do? Let's go back to Conor McGregor because it's starting to look like this division and the UFC is starting to pass him by a little bit. If you look at what's going on in the lightweight division, aside from maybe the winner of Gaethje versus Cerrone, there aren't a whole lot of good fits for Conor McGregor if he's going to come back. I mean, it looks pretty clear that Ferguson is going to be getting the next shot at Khabib. So if you take those two out of the mix... One thing that could make sense is Poirier, if you put Poirier up against Connor, But Poirier doesn't know what he wants to do next either. Poirier has gone on Instagram and said, I don't know what's next for me. I don't know if I'm going to keep fighting. And that goes back to what I said at the beginning of the show, where he just looked completely depleted after that loss to Khabib. Like, he just, he looked like, you know, there's just no way I can beat this guy. And that's the, that's the weird thing, is that 
you know, like you see a guy like a Tiago Santos saying, oh, I, know, I need to come back and fight John Jones again. I need to prove I can beat this guy. I don't know if Poirier is going to be able to come out and say, like, I need, I need that rematch against Khabib. It was just such a lopsided fight. All the respect in the world, though, for Dustin Poirier. Just as a guy. Donating all of his different fight gear to charitable causes. That's, a, that's, a, a, that's just a great thing to do. That's just a, uh, a very virtuous thing to do. And I think that we need to respect people like Dustin Poirier who are bringing philanthropy into the sport. You know, you look at uh, Justin Ren and what he's doing overseas. Providing clean water for people in Africa. Fight for the Forgotten, I think it's what it's called. You don't see a ton, and, uh, you know, Brian Ortega starting his foundation, but you don't see a lot of philanthropy being brought into MMA. And I think that it's something that is lacking, but also I think something that unfortunately comes with the pay. I think that, you know, you see a lot of athletes in other sports starting foundations, and a lot of people think that it's just kind of for tax breaks and things like that, and I get that. But, you know, I think that people using their platform, even if they're not going to give their own money, but just using their platform as a means of raising awareness about issues and about different charities is a, is a very important thing for this sport to have. Because, especially with the optics of MMA and, and the UFC, a lot of people just think it's barbaric. These guys are, you know, essentially just bullies. People that just want to get into fights and get paid to fight. Because that's all they know, all they know and, you know, they're, they're not good people. I don't agree with any of that. And I think, obviously, if you're listening to the show, you probably don't either, but... I think we need to see more charitable causes being brought forward by a lot of these mixed martial artists. And Khabib did the same thing, you know, as I mentioned earlier, at the post-fight press conference, just trying to raise awareness for that kind of thing. Another person that does a lot of charitable work and uh, a lot of um, has a lot of visibility in the different communities and trains overseas and puts her best foot forward is Chris Cyborg, who does a lot of different uh, charitable things and uses her name for in the, in the name of good. And uh, she has signed what Bellator is calling the largest contract in women's MMA history. And we will talk to her now on the TSN MMA show. It's Chris Cyborg. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to introduce this week's guest. I'm joined now by the former Strike Force, former Invicta, and former UFC featherweight women's champion, now the newest member of Bellator MMA, uh, perhaps the biggest signing in the history of the promotion. Now, uh, Chris, it's a, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. How certain were you that Bellator was going to be your next stop um, after your fight with Felicia Spencer? You know, I'm really happy, excited. I knew it was my last fight with Felicia. is my last fight in my contract, and I was excited for a season. I know there are other opportunities, and another chapter in my career. And I'm really happy signing for Bellator. Were, were were you pretty sure that Bellator was going to be the next stop? Were you when you finished that fight and you knew you were going to enter free agency? How confident were you that Bellator was going to be it? You know, I have I, I have another of offers, you know, but I work with my manager, and you know, I, I worked with Chris Scott before. You know, I know I, I know how this works. We have a good relationship. This really helped for signing for Bellator, and I saw it in my heart. So it's the largest contract in women's MMA history, according to Bellator. Now, Ronda Rousey got paid $3 million to fight Nunez. Are those the sort of numbers we're talking about here? Uh, you know, I think it's the first thing you work with Bellator is then respect the fighters. 
then promote the fires the right way. And, you know, I think it's about money. It's, it's, it's a blast, you know, it's coming with this. And I can say I have the best the best contract in my career. You know, this is deal with Rebellator is the best, the best deal in my career, and I'm very thankful. We're talking about a multi-year, multi-fight deal. When I hear multi-fight deal, immediately I think about the amount of fights you're going to have. I know you were unhappy with how often you were fighting in the UFC. Was that a big selling point, knowing you're going to have a little bit more activity? Yes, I'm happy because Bellator has my division. I think uh, you're going to have the opportunity to fight, you know, a lot of times per year. I think this, this is the goal. I think this is for, for helping growing more my legacy, my my fans, be excited to watch. And, you know, I, uh, this is the, the, the goal, you know, work more and fight more and wait a long time to fight. I think this is the goal. Now, I saw in your video, you talked about wanting to be a title holder in four different major MMA promotions. Is there a guarantee of an immediate title shot here against Julia Budd? You know, uh, Scott, you know, I'm training. I'm ready. I told him, you know, anytime, any opportunity, who's the one who want to put me fight, I'm going to be ready. And if you're going to be for the title, you know, you're going to be welcome for sure. I'm going to continue training hard. And I'll wait to see what Scott's choice. Could you see anybody else fight for the title above you? It, it, that wouldn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not the matchmaker, but, you know, for sure I would like to fight for the belt. You know, this is this is the dream, you know, keep working hard and training and fight for the title. And if, you know, the Scotty is doing his, is that his matchmaker, if he thinks it's going to be the goal, put me fight for the title, he's going to be welcome. Now, you fought twice in 2017, twice in 2018. Are you looking to fight again in 2019, have your second fight of the year? Yes, yes. So you think we'll see you fight before the end of the year in Bellator? You know, we do this. I'm training in the wedding, you know. I'm training in the wait. You know, if it's soon possible, it's better. How many fights are you hoping to have per year? Like, if, if I were to say in 2020 you want to have this amount of fights, how many would it be? I think the goal is three fights, you know, three fights in a year. And I think three fights is great. Continue active and training and fighting. Now, a move to Bellator likely means that a fight with Amanda Nunes uh, is not in the cards for the future. Are you okay with that? Are you able to walk away satisfied when the time comes that you weren't able to get that one back? Who said this is no fight in the future? You know, it's, 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 I still have this, this, this fight. I still have this fight in the future, you know. I think I would have said to Scott, maybe if he'd be Bellator champion and Amanda still UFC champion, Scott say he's open if he would like to do champ against champ. You know, uh, let's see. I think the future is this fight is still there. You know, it's it's promote. It's a big biggest fight. You know, if it can happen. Now I don't want to rule anything out in combat sports, but that's never happened before a Bellator versus UFC crossover. What makes you confident that that could happen? You know, we open for do that. You know, let's see. Then I say if you call me for one fight, maybe can do it. It's on his back. If the defense would like to see this fight. No, why not? Then promoter, you know, and promoter have to do the what? The biggest fight what the fans would like to see. Part of this contract was uh, gives you the opportunity to do some things outside of MMA, such as boxing and pro wrestling. Is any of that on your mind right now, or are you strictly focused on MMA for the foreseeable future? You know, I think the big thing is to sign, a, you know, with Bellator, I think it's the open opportunity for me to compete in other, other things. Boxing, you know, maybe pro wrestling. I think this is help, just help grow my brain. 
you know, if they have the opportunity to do that, for sure, they have a dream fight boxing, and I would like to do. If they open the opportunity, for sure, I would like to do. Why do you think that the UFC did not sign any featherweight fighters for the most part? I know Felicia Spencer got, got signed, um, Megan Anderson got signed, but that division never had rankings. It never had a top 15 because there were never that many fighters in the division. You're a big name. You were selling pay-per-views. You were among the, the top-drawing main events in the UFC on pay-per-view uh, in a year outside of the, the biggest of the big names. But why do you think the UFC didn't sign people? You know, this is the question you have to do to the night because then... That sounds big problem. Who's the man they're gonna fight? Who's gonna fight? You know, I this is not my problem anymore. I have the whole division for me fighting Bellator. And was that a big factor of signing with Bellator? Is that you know that there's gonna be a lot of fighters that you can draw from in that pool? Yes. I mean waiting for five, nine months, you know, and then I have to fight girls one thirty five and the weight to then put weight on for me fight. And this is not my goal. My goal is to fight all the time and for five girls away one forty five. And I think it's the main thing is Bellator is this. I have my whole division over there. All the girls on 45. I think I have a couple. Of them. I have a two, I think, left in UFC. They're welcome to come to Bellator, too. Do you think that you're the biggest name in Bellator right now or, or even in the history of the promotion, if you look at who's been in Bellator up until now? No, I think I have a lot of fighters that have big names in Bellator. We just now we're we growing the family. At least on the female side, though, I, I think you'd have to agree that you're probably the biggest name that's been in the promotion. No, I think I think I'm the name is start a lot of things, but I think I have a lot of girls there and then have the big names and fighting. You know, I, I don't like to put my my position like this. You know, it's it's everybody fights for one right, and I think everyone there is important. If you don't have the girls there. It's not going to have the division. I think every girl there in my division or another division girls, it's important. Outside of Julia Budd, who are some names in the division that you're interested in fighting? Any girl Scott put me in front of me. Are there any that you think are, are an interesting stylistic matchup with you? Uh, what? Sorry. Are there, any that, are, you any, are there any that you think would be a particularly interesting that? matchup? Hello? Hi, are you there? Yes. Oh, sorry. Can repeat the last question? Yes, no problem. Are, are there any fighters in the women's featherweight division that you think are an interesting stylistic matchup with you outside of Julia? You know, I think I think all the girls there is the way to fight. You know, I think then fight needs the big opportunity for them too. You know, I think you 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 have to be ready to fight anybody put in front of you. This is the fight of life. I think for sure any girls would like to fight me, I think it's the biggest fight you can do. Now, Bellator is doing a lot of these really fun Grand Prix. They did the welterweight division, heavyweight division, and now the featherweight division. Um, would you like to see them do a Grand Prix for the women's featherweight division? I'm telling you, this is the one of my dream outside boxing. You know, I, I came from shoot box gym, and everybody there doing this in Japan, and they have a lot of Grand Prix, Kondele Silva, Shigun. And if I have the opportunity, maybe do. Of course, of course, I'd like. This is the one more thing, one more challenge for my career. Is there anything on your bucket list, Chris, anything that you want to accomplish before you, you eventually retire that you'd like to see yourself uh, do? What's the, what's the big dream that you have? Uh, now the big dream is to be a Bellator champion and do a boxing fight. I think it's good. And, you know, I, I don't see anything about retiring yet. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm healthy. I love to fight. And, and then it motivates me. Signing for Bellator motivates me. I'm very excited for keep going. I don't see the end yet. I just see the beginning.
All right, Chris. Well, I appreciate your time. Uh, congratulations on, on the big signing with Bellator, and uh, we look forward to watching your fights in the future. Okay, thank you so much. That was Chris Cyborg on the TSN MMA show. Very interesting to hear from her. Uh, once again, I'll remind you, tsn.ca slash UFC, covering this UFC fight night in Vancouver. And I'm really looking forward to covering that specific event. And you can go to, uh, make sure you keep tuned to Sports Center. We're going to have a lot of different features in regards to this particular fight between Gaethje and Cerrone. We'll be back next week. Hopefully Joe will be with us and we can uh, break down that card. I'd love to get Joe's thoughts on Khabib versus Poirier, so we'll, we'll look ahead to that. But until then, enjoy the fights. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.